Hi, I'm Pastor Colin Smith, Senior Pastor of The Orchard. We're a church that loves the Bible, and this podcast features sermons from pastors at each of our six locations. Our prayer is that these messages will help root you in the Word of God, nourish you in the Gospel of Christ, and help you to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Here's today's message. Well, we're continuing our series called Always Good News, looking at why the message of Jesus is good every day, every moment, every morning, every afternoon, every evening. It's good while you sleep. It's good today. It was good yesterday. The good news will be good forever, and it's always relevant to every moment. And so my hope in this series is to prepare us to focus on knowing the message, the gospel, the good news well enough to first preach it to ourselves every day and then to proclaim it to others, even in the face of our our well-founded fears in doing so. And so in week one, we uh, looked at our opening Jesus was the title of it. And we asked this question, why are we afraid to share the gospel? That fear often prevents us from, uh, you know, sharing. And, and it's a well-founded fear. We gave like 20 reasons why we should be afraid to share the gospel. I wanted to validate that, but I also wanted to challenge us. We must face that fear and we must overcome it. I thought it would be helpful to do what a therapist does when they help someone work through their fear. They use exposure, a little bit at a time, increasing and gradually over time. Like a person afraid of an ocean. They're not expected to just plunge right in, but they're trained to get ready for it. So we should, we should first learn how to engage water uh, in a safer place, right, when we try to plunge into the ocean. We start at the shallow end of the pool and get your feet wet, and you get deeper in, and you figure out how to move in the water. And then you move a little deeper, and we learn to swim. And then we begin to practice, and we do something called laps, right? And we rehearse it, how to swim. And we feel more and more prepared to enter an ocean. Well, hopefully in seven weeks, I hope you will feel far more prepared to enter into the gospel-sharing conversations of your life. If the substance of the ocean is water, the substance of the gospel is Jesus. So that was week one. In week two, we looked at the Lord, and we asked, why are we afraid to tell people that Jesus is? is Lord. Well, first, telling people that they are not the Lord is scary. (laughs) People love having themselves or something they can manipulate on the throne. That's the way they prefer it. Either themselves as God or a God they invent and change as needed. And so they put self on the throne and they make up rules and change them as needed. Or they put an idol on the throne that will give them what they crave. Or they put a false god on the throne that someone just made up so that they can fit into a community. 
And we should ask that question, who should sit upon the throne of our hearts? Who should be our Lord? We looked at Psalm 2, declaring that Jesus is the Lord. He is the anointed one, that he should sit on the throne because of his flawless moral character. When a righteous one sits on the throne, the people rejoice. When a wicked person sits on the throne or a flawed person or a flawed character sits on the throne, the people groan and even hide. And so the anointed one should sit on the throne. And secondly, the king should sit upon the throne, the one who deserves that place, who it rightfully belongs to. Should not be a despot or someone who just took it by force. It should be the one who deserves it, his right. And Jesus has that right. And we looked at Jesus is Lord, the Son of God. He's not a human like the rest of us, flawed and limited. He is God entirely, both human and God, without limit. He will never die, right? He will live there forever. No transition of power, no power struggles, no wondering who the next throne, who's going to sit on the throne next. We can have a stable existence. And so a perfect one, the right one, and the Son of God, the eternal one of divine power. And that's how we explain Jesus to the world. Then we introduce the first conversational phrase to help us start to swim. I asked folks to memorize it. How did you do? God created us to be in a loving relationship with him as Lord. Just let people know. Start there. And this is week three. We're going to look at the next major point in the gospel, sin. We're going to ask that question, why are we afraid to tell people Jesus is putting the world right regarding sin? And so today we read the word of the Lord found in Revelation 21. How many of you loved hearing the beginning and the middle of that as Julie read such wonderful good news? But then she got to the end and things kind of got dark, right? Well, I liked it right at the beginning. It started to talk about a new heaven and a new earth, a holy city descending from God in heaven, a place where God lives and dwells among us, his beloved people. No crying, no grief. The cruelty and the suffering of the old broken world is gone. Our tears are wiped away, every single one of them. We'll remember them no more. Refreshment will come from a spring of the water of life. A victorious reward will be given to the Son, and we will be his reward. But that final verse, well, that one was a terrifying doozy because it talked about how God handles sin. I want to read it again. Verse 8 of Revelation 21. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Oh, right? Anybody a little afraid by that? That's some terrifying words. But that's how God deals with people who refuse to repent. And if we're going to share the gospel 
we're going to have to talk about sin. So let's confront why we are afraid of discussing sin. And the first, one, first reason is this. We might appear critical and judgmental if we talk about it. Bringing up the evil in someone else often leads them to making us look like we don't approve of them, we don't love them, that they are rejectable. It might come across as an accusation. Many of those who train others in sharing the gospel start with the condemnation of sin. You are a sinner. Did you not know that? You're evil. And God is going to punish evil. You've broken his law. You've violated his commandments. You should feel terrible shame. You should be afraid of the coming wrath of God. It doesn't matter how much you tried to be good. You just can't wash it off. You can't repay it yourself. You're too morally dirty to dwell in the presence of a perfect, holy, flawless God. And the conversation is often designed to convict people of personal sin. And while they say what, you know, they're saying what is true. I do actually believe that. Anybody else? It's horrible. It's terrible. But it's true. But starting the good news off like that comes off sounding terrible and paints God first and most with a lot of wrath and anger. And so that's why we might appear critical and judgmental. And the second thing is this, people may be insulted. I mean, if you start saying those things to people, they might get really offended. Anybody afraid to bring up sin because people are going to be offended? Who are we to accuse them and declare condemnation? Don't we have our own problems? Haven't we done our own sin? Aren't we pretty hypocritical? And doesn't that get people angry? Most people are really trying to be good and follow the rules. They want to be a good person. Some have been working hard to be loving and kind, and they're, they're kind of proud of that. Maybe that's not great, but at least they're trying. They're attempting to justify and compensate. Or others are unaware, and they're in denial, and it's surprising news to them. They're unable to admit that they have a problem, or others. And there are many of these who don't need a reminder of their shame. They already feel bad enough, and you're making them feel worse. So you might want to be afraid, right, of coming across that way. Isn't this supposed to be good news? Doesn't God love me? If he's so good, why does he hate me and want to burn me? You should be afraid not just to present sin like this because it will make them feel judged and perhaps feel make them angry, but also because it will probably damage your relationship with them. If you want to introduce God as loving and kind, as a loving Lord, but then you bring up God's hatred, your concept of religion will likely offend them so much that they will stop, want to stop talking to you about your faith. You'll be avoided or flatly refused. I don't want to talk about your beliefs anymore. There's, and there's that potential for them to feel so hurt that they may push you away. 
There's the potential for offense is real and we should be afraid of it. Many scriptures offer us, I should say maybe scriptures offer us a better way to present the gospel. Without looking superior, without there being so much potential for offense and relational damage. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Romans 5.12. I think the way that it presents sin is really helpful to avoid these things that we're afraid might happen. Again, it's Romans 5.12. As you turn there, I'm going to grab some water. Let's read it together. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. And so scripture does it a little differently, doesn't it? Instead of coming at that intentional, intensely personal shame that's worthy of condemnation, it starts with sin further away and then gradually brings it closer. Let's talk about how it does that. The first is the introduction of sin. It introduces the idea of it. How did it get introduced It says, sin came into the world through one man. We call that original sin. And it happened like this. Believing lies, mankind loses their faith in God and his loving lordship, and they betray him. And this rebellion invites the knowledge of evil into their hearts. And it destroyed mankind's relationship with God so badly that man cannot fix it. In no effort. Sin is the spark that lit the world on fire. So at this point, you may want to pause and say, that's how sin came into the world. Can I talk to you about what sin is? Give it a definition. Sin is humanity's irresistible compulsion to defy the character, the will, and the rule of God. It's a rejection of the lordship of God, of a God who loves us and has only the best intentions for us. In sinning, we take the throne of our hearts and rule ourselves instead of God. That's what sin is. It's a rebellion against the rule of God. And it has consequences. So it's really good to talk about the consequences. Romans talks about the consequences but I would expand on it because eventually it ends in death. But first, it broke our loving relationship with God. And it, sin causes everything wrong with the world. Everything. It corrupts and it destroys everything it touches. Even the image of God in us and the design that God made us in. It destroys it. And it destroys us internally. It makes us think and feel and act in ways that we know are wrong. It created a great weakness in us. Romans 6.19 says this, Because of the weakness of your human nature, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led to even deeper into sin. Even deeper. It leads people to hurt us. 
It hurts our relationships with one another. It started doing that right off the bat. Sin is something that people try to resist and they try to repay, but no one succeeds. Sin is what causes selfish living, abuse, greed. It leads to things like human trafficking and slavery and war. And we have to set up all sorts of laws and means to enforce its ceasing. We try to stop it, but we just can't. We want to stop it from getting out of control in the world, but it just keeps happening over and over again. You see, what we're doing in people is not trying to convince them of personal sin. We're just trying to get them to hate sin first. And the thing they should hate the most about sin is the only way to stop it is death. And since we are attached to it, it is baked in, it is part of our nature, it is our compulsion, the only way to stop us is death. Then it's good to talk about the transmission of sin, right? Sin was a problem from the very start, and it is passed on in our very nature. So uh, when Romans talks about, I'm going to go back here a little bit, just as sin came into the world through man and death through sin. So we talked about death coming in. And so death spread. How did it spread? It's been transmitted. From one generation to the next, down through all the ages, it's been wreaking havoc in humanity, and it's reached us. It's infected us. We're compelled to sin too, and we can't beat it. And we can't wash it away. And the only way to stop it is death. And so that leads to the next phrase I would like you to memorize. And here it is. The first one, first, God created us to be in a loving relationship with him as Lord. But the second phrase is this. Sin has infected everyone and results in death. Separation from God. But isn't this good news? When we're studying a book together called Always Good News, and it says this in the the title of the chapter we're studying this week, Jesus is putting the world right regarding sin. He's not just letting it run rampant. He has a plan to stop it. And that's the good news And we'll talk more about that in coming weeks of how Jesus stops it, of how he takes the death you deserve and puts it upon himself. But I want to go back to the thing that we're talking about most today. Most of the scripture we read today, the way we introduced it, is to say that Jesus is setting the world, is putting the world right regarding sin. And that's good news. See, when we explain sin that way, we introduce it to them without trying to make them feel guilty and feel condemned and things like that. It makes them hate sin. It makes them hate that all that sin does, especially that sin causes death. And they want a relief. They want someone to win. And that is our good news, is Jesus is putting the world right regarding sin. And his plan is to glorify this world. Revelation 21.4 
And there's a lot of kind of skips all over in how Jesus does this in this passage. It's all intertwined, but one of them is, is uh, 21.4. Sorry, 21.4. There's no Revelation 24. <laughs> 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither, more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. The effects of sin, Jesus plans to remove them from the earth. Wouldn't that be awesome if somebody did that? And Jesus will completely purify his people. Verse 5, behold, I am making all things new. I'm going to come dwell with you. And the third thing is this, that Jesus will finalize his mercy and justice. It'll be finished. Verses 6 and 7 say this. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. means you don't even have to earn it. To the one who conquers will have this heritage. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. So who's going to win? This for us, Jesus, the Son of God. And so the person that you're asking about or telling about sin, they know they've done it. You've gotten the point across that they're infected by it. They see it as a global problem, the problem of all humanity, and they know the consequence of it is death. And you haven't had to talk about the specifics of how they've broken the moral law of God, how they're an adulterer, how they're a liar. We don't have to talk about all those things when we present the gospel. See, the gospel's good news. So we can ask them, do you want to stop the madness and the cruelty of sin? Don't you want to see it come to an end? If you had a chance to eliminate sin from the world, would you ask God to do it? Do you want to be cured from it? If you had to eliminate, if you had a chance to eliminate sin from within you, if God offered that to you, would you take it? Would you want it to be taken from you? If you had a chance to put a perfect, morally flawless king upon the throne of earth for all eternity, would you do it? You see, sin brought nightmares into reality. But Jesus intends to end the nightmare. And the only way to do that is to restore the lordship of Jesus, to give back the throne to the one it belongs to, to choose the rightful king instead of yourself or whatever you choose to worship, some idol or some way of thinking or some false prophet, and to ask the Son of God to reign over the whole world that's what we should do. But that starts with you. Do you want Jesus to release you from the power of sin and its horrible consequences? Do you want Jesus to end the cycle of sin and death? Do you want the image of God fully restored? Do you want the righteous one back on the throne? Do you want to see all this madness stopped? Do you want to be cleansed so you do what is right and what is good do you want to do that? Or do you want to stay on the throne of rebellion?
Because those are our choices. And the good news is you can get off the throne and you can be cleansed. God has made a way. I didn't have to talk about the worst thing you did or the thing you feel guilty or shamed for. I just presented the problem of sin and the consequence of sin. And we let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. Right? We don't have to shame them into the gospel. We don't have to condemn them into the gospel. We can just tell them Jesus saves. Right? And so I hope that makes you less afraid. I hope that makes you more willing to talk about sin. I hope it relieves you from that responsibility to have to talk about their personal sins that only God knows about, right? We all fall short of the glory of God. And the solution is Jesus. And so I hope you get a chance to share the gospel and I hope you feel safer, like that your relationship may not be damaged However, I know it's still a risk. It's still a big risk. People may still feel like you're being condemning or judgmental. So do it gently. Do it carefully. Do it with all the love you can, with all the humility you can. Put on the full character of Christ as much as you can. And talk about sin and our need for a Savior. And oh, it's also you have to mention the consequence of sin, death. So it it is still something that we should be careful of that probably should make us fear a little bit. But it's we have to face the fear and proceed. Proceed in sharing the gospel. God created us to be in a loving relationship with him. But sin has infected everyone. And it leads to death. But I have good news. Right? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, help us to be bold with the gospel. Help us to be courageous, to confront sin, to talk about it, and to let people deal with it. And help them to hate it and want to be ridded of it. And help us to profess Jesus as the only solution. And then if they want to talk about their sins and things like that, and they want to confess them and talk about that, they can do that with us, and we will preach the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus Christ. But God, help us to be wise in how we present the gospel. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Orchard Sermon Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please subscribe, become a regular listener, and share the link with others. And if you're in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, we'd love to welcome you as our guest at one of the Orchard's six locations. For more information, go to theorchard.church. That's theorchard.church.